0: It's always an endeavor to play it, and you're always a student when you're playing Bach, no matter what.
1: That's the founder and artistic director of the Arizona Bach Festival, Scott Youngs. He's here to talk about the upcoming festival beginning February 26th with organist Ken Cowan. I'm Melissa Green. Welcome to another episode of Heart of the Arts. So we're here with the artistic director and founder of the Arizona Bach Festival, among many other things. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. So you've been a conductor and staple here in Arizona for a long time. You were the music director of the Arizona Masterworks Chorale. You were with the Episcopal Church for 30 years as their music director. With all the hats you've worn and that you continue to wear, how are they still overlapping right now?
0: You never get tired of music, and I never get tired of making it. Mm-hmm. So they have overlapped always yeah. in wonderful ways. I mean, you take one ensemble with one sound and you transport it to another ensemble with a different sound, a different repertoire. It just broadens your perspective. Mm-hmm. It gives you more opportunities for creativity. It gives you, you know, inspiration to move into bigger things, different things.
1: Mm-hmm, definitely. I want to get, of course, to the Arizona Bach Festival. You have a lot of um, really fun guests coming in. But I wanted to ask, what is your favorite part about studying Bach or, quote, perfecting a piece of his music?
0: Oh, I do wish I could say that I've ever perfected a piece of his music. I remember one of my colleagues saying, I'm, I'm really sad today because I've just finished learning his last organ work. And I'm thinking, you go back to the beginning and you start over again. It's a never-ending study but trial and error. And you change through your life. Mm-hmm. You know, Your perspective changes. The texts of these pieces take on different meanings as you, as you go through your life my perspective on an orchestra now is vastly different than it was 30 years ago my perspective on uh, choral sound different probably not as different as my orchestral expectations but looking at a text wildly different than i would have considered it 30 years ago
1: Mm -hmm. and do you have an example of that something you're working on now
0: i think one of the best examples is the magnificat that we're doing Mm -hmm. We get to do these gorgeous choral and orchestral works that have not only a history, but they have a place in the repertoire and they have a place in the religious institution in which it was created. So we're looking at a text that was just upsetting every tenant of the time. You know, early Christianity is looking at the virgin birth, the Gospel of Luke, uh, Mary's place in it and her reception of this surprise birth—it's a very—it's—it's it's fraught with all sorts of drama and eloquence from her side, and it's a never-ending, it's a never ever-changing work. So you look at the text and you think, "I'm setting three different, or I'm using three different settings of this text—one by Vivaldi, one by Caldara." one by Bach. Mm-hmm. So you see three different perspectives and three different uses within the liturgy of these particular works. The Bach, obviously the biggest. Um, the Caldara, the smallest, a uh, rather concise narration of this text. The Bach, much more eloquent. You know, the uh, composers in the Baroque, all of the 18th century education included rhetoric. You know, the study of language, they were training them to be uh, courtiers and lawyers and town council people and people for whom language was going to be very important. And Bach had this training and this idea of copia, this expansion and nuance of language was put to work in a way in this text setting of the text that's quite stunning. You know, he sets the big opening, and the middle, and the closing choruses with full brass, timpani, chorus, everybody, very grand. And then you shift to the middle of sections, which are these elegant motif-laden commentaries on the text that's being spoken. You know, when he's talking about the humility of Mary with the little descending motifs, in, in the orchestra. And then he's talking about the strength of God's arms and you have the, the rising, suddenly big motif. This idea of nuance of language is very, very, very much reflected in this work. So that's, that's a stunning yes. kind of endeavor to work with and see how much of that you can bring out.
1: Yes, it's such a beast. Um, my music history professor in college always called him the genius beast of Baroque. Yes. I, <laughs> I just thought that was...
0: Every singer and musician will agree.
1: Yes. Um, I wanted to bring something up before we get more into the festival. I've talked about this with Chela Zuul Bailey, who's performing all six suites coming up next uh, month. and. Uh, my, one of my professors told me that when you can play—I played classical guitar, and, you know, of course, they're transcribed for guitar. But thinking about a cello suite or an oratorio, um, it was, you know, brought to my attention that when you can play an entire cello suite or whatever piece you may pick, um, that's, when you, that's when you're a musician. So what is your response to what people mean when they say that?
0: that you're a musician?
1: When you can play a piece by Bach. <laughs> <laughs> when you, <laughs> you know, playing, performing, you know, you get to this, of course, you have to be at a certain level, but when you can make it musical, you know, part of my interpretation was sometimes, you know, in, in, the, in the music, there's not, play it this way, play it this way, play it with this kind of emotion or feeling. So I was just curious your opinion, if someone says, oh, when you can play this Bach piece, that means you know what
0: you're doing. It probably means, or they are probably assuming that you have now wedded your technique and your mental uh, understanding of the work. So one would hope that's true. Mm -hmm. But you know, Bach was the ultimate educator. He was a teacher from day one. So his compositions, he wrote many, many compositions as educational material. For his family and for his students, and he taught constantly. So I don't know that any of his music would be non-study music. Yeah. It's always an endeavor to play it, and you're always a student when you're playing Bach, no matter what.
1: Yes, yes. So the opening concert of the festival, beginning February 26th, Ken Cowan on organ, playing at All Saints Episcopal Church in Phoenix. Right. Tell us a little bit about this performer.
0: Ken Cowan is at Rice University in Houston. He's, a, of course, a stellar performer. He's played all over the world. Um, he's bringing a program of three major works, just like the—, the uh, Magnificat was built, mm. beginning, middle, and end, with these elegant pieces between that are mainly to show off the color of the organ, along with the grand works that you would expect from you know lots of dazzling pedal work and great fanfare. Uh, the organ at All Saints is a neo-baroque instrument, and it's a mechanical action instrument. Okay, so. That alone is worth hearing just by itself. It's a stunning instrument. Mm. And Bach would have felt right at home. Mm. He would recognize everything on the instrument. So it's a very responsive instrument. When you actually depress a key, it allows air into the pike with a mechanical linkage. Mm. So it tells you exactly how rapidly you press or release the key. So articulation on an instrument like that is very, very telling. Mm. Good organists sound even better, less good organists do not sound better. Mm. <laughs> it is a challenging kind of instrument, very telling, and it's it's a stunning instrument here in Phoenix. Yeah. So we're really privileged to have it here.
1: Cool. There's a French organist um, from the Baroque era. I'm trying to remember the name. I thought I wrote it down. I don't know if it's in the second concert with the bassoonist coming. Gosh, I thought there was a French organist from the Baroque era that I didn't know too
0: much about. You're thinking of Michelle Corette? Yeah. It opens the second concert. And the intriguing part of the composition is that it's for four bassoons and organ. Mm. So a very unusual instrumentation because that was its original instrumentation. So Hmm. very, very fun. The whole program is built around multiples of the same instruments. So you have four bassoons to open it with organ. Then you have an oboe band. Now, we've never heard an oboe band probably (laughs) in Phoenix, but it was a very popular uh, in the Baroque, a very popular sort of source of entertainment. So Martin Schuring has put together an oboe band of six oboes. And so you get another whole host of the same instrument mm-hmm. playing Rameau and Lu Lee. And then there is an arrangement of a Bach piece for four violas, okay. which leads us into the Bach cantata to end the program, which is also written for four violas and continual with singers. So just a really fun program of unusual sounds. Yes. Not the kind of thing that you would normally hear. Mm-hmm. All Saints is a great, a great venue for that. It's a nice acoustical setting. It's mm-hmm. a lovely room. And the Bach Festival is always an educational institution. It's very important for us to always be presenting things that are educational and unusual, mm-hmm. and things that you wouldn't necessarily hear anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So the workshops that come with each of the guests artists are also you know, part of our educational momentum and we are trying to engage younger musicians in this art form you know, and it's been it's been wildly successful so we're very excited.
1: Excellent and they can find information about the workshops on the website. They can. Okay. Excellent. The festival is always trying to, like you said, educate, inspire, and elevate the appreciation of Bach. As we get into, I know you mentioned a little bit about the Magnificat coming up. I've had a few younger musicians in recently, the um, winner of the Sphinx competition, musicians in their early 20s who still call Bach the the OG. (laughs) He's the cream of the crop, you know. And you've got the chorus, the orchestra at All Saints with um, you know the settings from the Gospel of Luke, and I think some people like we play a lot of his J. C. Bach, C. P. E. Bach on the air. Sometimes even I forget. You know, it was much later that he became the big name that he is today, and. Uh, Could you explain to listeners who might not be aware that, you know, like you said, his music was educational and it was mainly performed in the churches?
0: Absolutely. He was Leipzig's second choice, of course, to become a cantor. Mm. Telemann was not available, and so they had to settle for Johann Sebastian. (laughs) And his job was, first of all, enormous— he was expected to produce uh, huge amounts of music just for the church side, mm-hmm. but he was also the town musician, and he was also teaching in the school. So he was wearing multiple hats and creating music for everything from a town festival to big liturgical feast days.
1: That's uh, sometimes that escapes my mind that he wasn't as big in his day, but
0: no, he became he became. Uh, <laughs> he was a workhorse in his day <laughs> somewhat of a tyrant mm-hmm. understandably but he was not a household name the bach name throughout history a whole family of musicians was very well recognized you know mm-hmm. throughout thuringia and a household name today, not until 19th century with Mendelssohn, mm-hmm. starting a revival of his music. So
1: Right. Yeah. Okay, so third concert, Arizona Bach Festival Chorus Concert Orchestra, and you're conducting the Magnificat. So what is the first thing that you hear? For some people, it's... You know, it's it's the sounds of the voices coming together. It maybe is like a, a physical feeling for other people. It's really technical. So, how do you absorb it and and start to work it?
0: For uh, an oratorio setting like this, I would start with the voices, mm-hmm. and I would start with the soloists as opposed to the chorus. Mm-hmm. Thinking about it, mm-hmm. we our privilege to bring in some of our soloists and some of them are local. You know, we bring in Josephine Stoppelenberg as often as we can. She's just everybody's favorite singer. She's a Dutch singer based in Chicago now, and she is coming again mm-hmm. to do both the Magnificat and an entire program of her own. So that's wonderful. But those kinds of small beginnings where you start working with the emotional aspects of it, Mm-hmm. then you can grow from that point and listen to the chorus's response to that and then the underpinning of the orchestra mm-hmm. so i would probably start from the smallest and go to the largest corporate sound mm-hmm. in my in my thought process
1: mm-hmm. And uh, she'll be closing out the festival, correct, with her she is. Baroque heroines and yes. these characters that she's bringing to life? Tell us about that.
0: This is kind of a fasten your seatbelt program. If you've ever heard Josephine sing, she's just a coloratura phenomenon. You know, she just blows your socks off. Mm-hmm. So here she is. She's picked a whole program of Baroque women mm-hmm. who are powerful figures with the music to match which I just can't wait for. Yes. Her husband actually is a very fine conductor and is coming as her accompanist. So we we add a a lovely cellist here, and then they are good to go. So that will be a very exciting program. I'm so excited I get to be in the audience for that. (laughs) Oh, nice.
1: Yeah, she's going to be Cleopatra. And I've only uh, been able to see some of her YouTube recordings, but she's very powerful. She is I, I don't know how. She, she does She's a great it all. singer, no.
0: <laughs> she does a she does a workshop for singers and it's delightful to watch her demonstrate and work with younger singers. Mm-hmm. She She's going to be working with one of my high school students this year, which will be really fun. Yeah. very talented young woman and Josephine will give her some excellent building up, some encouragement and and technical examples mm-hmm. to work with and make her feel like She can truly become a great singer.
1: Yeah. It's one
0: of Josephine's great gifts as a teacher.
1: I've talked to other choral directors who say that when you're, whatever piece you're singing, that's your favorite, probably your favorite piece. In that moment, and you're kind of the actor. Would you say that's her approach or your approach? Sometimes, when performing any type of choral piece,
0: I think whatever piece you're performing at the moment needs to be your favorite piece of the moment.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> but it is—it is somewhat like being an actor. You get to consider the character from all sides. You—you. You, take the nuances of language, as we spoke about before, Mm -hmm. and make sure that you are conveying the emotions, the ideas, the text that you want to come across. Mm -hmm. If you're just getting an instrumental piece, you have different limitations and different obligations in getting that simple sound to convey and express ideas, emotions, Mm -hmm. without an actual text.
1: Mm -hmm. So what other highlights do you have um, for us or anything else about uh, the upcoming festival or uh, any other educational initiatives that our listeners can um, keep an ear out for here in the Valley?
0: I will tell you my goal for the future, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: hopefully starting next year, is to have a course on continual playing. Okay, what is that? Here in the valley. So, as a keyboard player in the Baroque, you were given a bass line, the ch- whatever the cello or the bass or the bassoon was playing. You had their line, and you had a series of numbers written over that actually gave you the harmony. So, it would be 6 5 or 6 3 or a suspension written in. They would give you the figures. And your job as the keyboardist was to improvise on those figures to match what you were hearing in the orchestra or the chorus above or an individual instrument above you, so -hmm. that it matched. So it also had an emotional component and could convey the same ideas, the same emotions that were taking place elsewhere. This is a skill that is just mind-boggling to us nowadays. (laughs) We're bringing in Leon Shalhasa from Curtis to play this year again. He's a phenomenal continual player, and this is exactly what he's doing. He is looking at the orchestral score, but he's playing the bass line and improvising on the harpsichord or the organ whatever accompaniment is needed to embellish and exaggerate the text or whatever is happening above him. Mm. That's a great skill that not many people have.
1: Uh, Yeah, especially when you are entering the college level and you haven't done any of that. Like you said, it's really kind of mind-boggling.
0: It is, but it is possible. And I have watched Leon teach harpsichordists about this improvisational technique. So my goal is to actually start a a multi-day course each year to bring in keyboard players who can start building up this this talent, this skill of improvising. We tend to be trained as musicians to be one or the other, either improvisers in a jazz idiom Mm -hmm. or straight score reading musicians on the other side, and not a lot in between. Mm -hmm. I spent my career as a church organist. And so part of the requirement of being an organist is to be able to improvise. You need to be able to improvise on hymns. You need to be able to cover cover movements. You need to be able to just time the service so that it is natural. Yeah, And that's one of the skills. It's not always taught at universities or even earlier. So we're hoping to bring this and add it to the educational opportunities in Phoenix and make that one of our hallmarks
1: oh that that's amazing i mean and it's i feel like it's such a, a great tool for all aspects of composing performing but kind of for that you know just that mental workout like you get when you're studying a piece by bach or whatever those four different lines all doing those different things <laughs> nothing sustains or repeats um is that something that you were taught Or was it missing and you had to kind of revisit it at some point?
0: I had very little training in that. You know, I was fortunate in that I was able to study with Jean Langlais in Paris, who is known as one of the great French improvisation teachers. And we did a small amount of that, but I was really there to study the works of César Franck with him as an organist at saint Mm Clotilde. So it was a different focus for me at that point. But it was a little introduction, mm-hmm. and it really did make me curious and give me the sense that this is doable. Yeah. This is not inhuman. This is this is a skill that you can actually learn and utilize.
1: And do you think young kids enjoy that?
0: Oh, absolutely. What young child doesn't love making up stories? You know, what young musician doesn't like working on his own forms of expression, his own music, his own melodies? hmm And... It carries through for so many things. You know, it's, it's ear training. It's, it's understanding harmonic progressions and theory. So it's all part of the big package.
1: Mm, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. There's four opportunities to attend the Arizona Bach Festival. My last question was, Are you? do you take... Um are you taking students on currently?
0: No, I'm not teaching.
1: You're not teaching. Okay. This is just your um, your initiative
0: for right. the – Okay. Right. No, it would be taught by Leon Shelhasa. Okay. From Curtis. Yes. No, he has a skill set that's way, way beyond.
1: <laughs> and you're busy enough because you've got – like I said, you wear many different hats, and I just think that it's really important to start with those – foundations, it certainly would have helped me more, especially in music theory when you start studying fugues and you get to pointillism and all this stuff, it just...
0: It would be a wonderful opportunity for students.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on Heart of the Arts today. It's Absolutely. So my nice. pleasure. So nice to meet you, and uh, we hope to hear more from you. As well. That's the founder and artistic director of the Arizona Bach Festival, Scott Youngs. The festival takes place from February 26th to March 14th in Phoenix and Scottsdale. You can get tickets for all four concerts and find more information at ArizonaBachFestival.org. For KBOX Heart of the Arts, I'm Melissa Green.